Hello, everyone. My name is Ryla Rodriguez, and I have the honor of introducing our encounter speaker today, Mr. D. I have only known Mr. D for the past two years as my math teacher, but I'm sure I can speak for everyone that he's kind of a legend here at Southwest because he's been teaching for 26 years. You've probably heard about his Spider-Man obsession, his quote wall, and his deep side tangents ranging from relationship advice to Lord of the Rings. He also lived in Indonesia for 17 years and tells us lots of stories about his jungle life. As much as I'd love to talk on and on about Mr. D, because as he said, if I talk long enough, he won't have to speak at all. But I think I should stop so we can give a warm welcome to our very own teacher, Mr. D. Welcome especially to the, welcome to all of you, but especially to the parents and the families of the seniors uh, and the seniors who are going on the DR trip. It's hard to believe it's only six days away. You'll be on an airplane, you'll be heading out. And I imagine that what you're feeling right now is all over the board. I'm sure many of you are excited. Um, many of you are probably nervous, don't know what to expect. Um, and that's just the parents, much less the students. I would imagine that the students are also feeling overwhelmed by how much work their teachers have stacked up for them to do before they leave. I've heard about it in my own class. Um, and so I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but we're here together today as a community to center in on what God desires and what God um, has in store in this very special opportunity. God is at work all over the world. We tend to be a little bit centered on our own lives. We tend to be a little bit um, inward focused a lot of times, but God is at work all over the world. And he invites us to participate in that work. But I find in my own life, that it's really helpful to remember whose work it is. And I can find great freedom and comfort in knowing that it really isn't up to me or up to us, that ultimately it's God's work and he's got a lot in mind. So with that said, I'd like to share with you a couple of stories. The first involves, um, as Riley said, I grew up in Indonesia. And I'd like to share a little bit about that. And it's not really about what my experience was, but it's more about what God was doing in the little jungle village that I grew up in and that my parents and other missionaries worked in. So this really isn't about, this is about what God has been doing in the life of that village. And then I also want to talk a little bit about the DR and what God has been doing there and how he invites us to participate in that work. Uh, so... In 1977, my uh, parents, my brother and I, my sister wasn't born yet, we moved into this little jungle village called Naganyabao. There's about uh, 400 people, a little bit more. Most people at the time, you can see that big, long house in the middle. Um, most of the people live there in small, side-by-side -side apartments. Altogether, there's about 20-ish villages about the same size that make up what's known as the Mbalo people. They're called the Mbalo people because that's the language that connects them all, the particular dialect. Uh, in Indonesia, there's lots and lots and lots of languages. Everything is very spread out. Um, and so all of my friends in boarding school, we all were in different tribes. We all spoke different dialects, okay? So anyways, we move into this tribe and they were very wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, they're very welcoming. They invited us to come in and to work and to share with them about, uh, about Jesus and the gospel and the good news, which, of course, didn't start for a long time. 
Um, my brother and I had free reign of the village. We played with our friends. We went everywhere. We swam in the river. We fished. We hunted in the woods. We built slingshots, which weren't very successful at hunting, but every once in a while we managed to kill something. Um, but we, never, we, we moved everywhere in this village without fear at all of any harm coming to us because of the Nyabao people. Very friendly, very wonderful people. But on the other hand, they lived in spiritual oppression, in spiritual darkness. Their belief system was largely animistic and extremely superstitious. They had all sorts of superstitions that would uh, prevent them from actually going out and doing their work, which for most of them was they had their own gardens, they grew rice and vegetables, and that's how they, um, that's how they supported themselves. There was also a lot of uh, cultural issues around, around weddings and funerals with excessive amounts of drinking uh, and even like into the, into the children. I remember talking with one of my friends at the time who was, his name was Burung, and he was probably eight years old. It wasn't, it wasn't always easy to tell how old people were there. Uh, they didn't care that much about particular ages. But I remember him telling me how much fun he had had the night before getting drunk at the party and just like stumbling around. And I remember thinking, I was like 10 at the time, and I remember thinking in my head like, really? Like this is going on? Like this is... This doesn't seem quite right. Um, but their weddings and their funerals, excessive drinking and excessive partying, um, and, and they lived under this spiritual oppression and spiritual darkness. So as the years passed, you know, my parents learned the language, the other missionary family learned the language, make friends, start teaching about Jesus. And as far as missionary stories go, this one was very, had a very positive response. Many people, in fact, most of the village responded positively towards the message of salvation and became Christians and began to uh, form this new church body. But there was one issue, and that was, among any, but, but, but one issue, nobody wanted to step up and be a leader. Nobody was wanting to take the step from just, you know, hey, I believe in Jesus, to actually being a leader in the church and to help building uh, building the local church, which was one of the main goals of the mission, which was set up a local church with local believers and the missionaries move out. And so that was, for a couple of years, that was, that was an issue. But like I said at the beginning, it's God's work. And I just want to talk about how God provided in this particular situation. The Indonesian government, as a way to reach out and create unity, would build schools and they would build like clinics in the villages. Um, so there was a six a grade through grade six school. The teachers would come in from out in the cities, from out you know in the other parts of Indonesia, and then in that particular, the clinic that they set up, there was a man named Susanto. He was an Indonesian guy. He wasn't from our village. He wasn't from the Mbalo tribe. He came in from the outside, and he was what they call a mantri, which is basically, I don't know if it's like a nurse or a PA, but basically medically trained, and he was there to help um, provide medical assistance in the village. I was his patient once. Um, I managed, we walked barefoot all the time, and I managed to ram a sliver deep into my heel, so deep that my parents couldn't get at it with a pair of tweezers. And so my dad picked me up and he carried me all the way to the other side of the village, through the longhouse, the other side, 
to the Mantri's clinic, and he took a little bit of freezing spray, he sprayed my foot, cut it open, and I mean, as a kid, it, was, it, it felt like it was really deep. It probably was half an inch or so, but he dug in there, kept cutting, kept spraying, and eventually he pulled that um, piece of wood out of my foot, and everything went fine there. Um, but anyway, so he was, he was a good man. He was a kind man. He wasn't a Christian when he came to the village. He was a single man, and he became interested in this young woman named Paya. But Paya and her parents had become Christians, and when he approached them about perhaps marrying their daughter, they told him, hey, you seem like a nice guy. We're not opposed to this, but we're, this isn't going to happen if you don't become a Christian. And as far as I know, that was the first sort of case of missionary dating in the jungle. But the cool thing was, is that this man, Susanto, he started coming to the Bible studies. He started getting into the Word. He started reading and learning about Jesus. And he was like a man on fire. Like, it was almost, it was, it was almost scary how fast his, the intensity of his love for Jesus just exploded. And he was all in almost from day one. And he eventually, not eventually, pretty soon he became a Christian, and he eventually became like the most influential leader in the young life of that village church. Uh, he married Payat, which I have. Oh, sorry, I forgot about that picture. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's Susanto right there. I don't, you know, Payat is obviously walking in. That's her little sister there. But this was like the first Christian wedding in the entire history of Nanganyabao. Uh, you can see them in their traditional garb, um, very beautiful sort of clothes that they had for their special events. The, uh, the clothes that they're wearing, though, you can't really see it, but they're made out of glass beads, tiny glass beads, super intricate, super artistic, um, very beautiful um, traditional clothing that they had. So the church was formed he was a major impact in the, in the early life of that church. And then the missionaries moved out. The last time I was there, I was eight, well, I wasn't quite 18. I was 17 years old. I was a senior in high school. And I went in one last time to sort of say goodbye to my friends and to say goodbye knowing I'd be coming back here and most likely never um, going back. So the missionaries are gone. And the church keeps growing. And it's been 30 years but there's been some major changes that I want to share with you as well, because the one thing I want to say is that God's work keeps going. Long after the missionaries are gone, long after we were there, the work keeps going, and God is still working in mighty ways in that village. So there's been an entire generation now in that village that has grown up without the spiritual oppression and the darkness of the past. In fact, it's almost been, it's like the response of the Christians have not told their kids at all about what their past was like. They don't know about all of the superstitions. They don't know about all the fear of the spirits and all that kind of stuff. They've just grown up in Christian community. Uh, but God has been working there. And a few years ago, the other missionary family wrote a letter to the church, almost like you know, in, you know, in the, the New Testament. They, he wrote a letter to the church reminding them of what their past was like. Because the problem was is that 
they didn't feel a need to carry that message further. They were happy living in their Christian community. They didn't feel the need to go out to the other Mbalo villages and bring uh, the message of Christ out there because they had forgotten the spiritual darkness and the oppression that they had used to live in. And so he wrote them a letter reminding them of this. And through that letter, a young woman named Rina, she's a church. So Rina, she is the niece of one of my friends growing up. She was not born by the time I left the village. She's younger than that. But she is the niece of one of my friends named Gang. And she decided that she was become a full-time missionary. And I'd like to read a portion of a letter that she wrote um, in response to this, and to just, to, just to give you an idea of the work of Christ in this little village. She writes, uh, Oh, Grandpa, which is basically just like a... The Mbalo people are very family and community-oriented. Everything was like our mother. Like, I would refer to my own mother as Induku, which means our mother, not just my mother. And that's just the way, it was very familial that way. So she writes, oh, Grandpa, when I, read, when I read this letter, I was really afraid thinking of conditions in our village before. There apparently were really lots of things that we lived in fear of. For sure, our lives before were lived in fear. Praise the Lord that now it's not like that. There are no more witch doctors in our village. There are also no more people offering sacrifices. Thank you that you've already brought the good news to our village. That's why my heart really desires to take the good news to other villages. That's why I've become a missionary, Grandpa. I really thank God that we've already heard the good news. I'm already free from the sins. And she writes, I have a testimony. So she talks about this time a few years ago. She says, in October of 2016, I was teaching in the village of Lauk Satu, which is another village up the river. They're Mbalo people. I taught in the school, but I taught chronological Bible lessons to the adults. I lived in their village. Oh, my grandpa, they had witch doctors, people getting drunk. They fought every evening using knives if they fought. They were full of fear. For seven days after someone died, no one left their homes. I was the only one that traveled. All the people were afraid to go out of the house. Maybe a bad spirit would do something to them. Grandpa, back then at that time, I cried while living in that town. They're the same as us in Balo but their lifestyle was really different than our people at Nanganyabao. Then Uncle Gaing came to me and he said, or he came to visit me at Lauksatu. I told about all their behavior there and Uncle Gaing said to me, Rina, our village was also like that before good news came to our village. We were just like this village, no difference. But you were born after the good news had come to our village and that's why you have never seen that kind of behavior. And that was her testimony. And she is the first of hopefully many uh, young people from that village who have become, who become a full-time missionary and reach out to the other tribes. Let me transition. Like I said, God is at work all over this world. And we are invited to participate. Uh, in 2003, Southwest Christians started to go to the Dominican Republic. I won't talk about any of the history involving of how, how that happened and all that sort of stuff, but we've been going there for, this is, I tried to count it up, this is either our 21st or 22nd trip. It's been a lot. I went on the first 12 or so of those trips, 
a lot of fun. They were challenging at times. Um, but I kind of always wondered if they were worth uh, the effort, the resources, the time, all of what went into carting a bunch of high school seniors to another country um, for eight days. I can remember one time we were flying down on the flying down, and uh, the students were excitedly talking about going down on a mission trip for eight days, and they were talking to these two young guys, and they felt a little deflated when they found out that those two young guys were Mormon missionaries, and they were headed down for two years. (laughs) And if I'm honest with you, I had that kind of mindset myself, right, because I grew up, I spent 17 years, my parents spent a total of 25 years, many missionaries that I knew 20, 30, 40 years of their lives in that work. And so there was a part of me that was always thinking about, well, (laughs) what can you do in eight days? You can play with some kids, maybe build a little building. You can do a couple things here and there. But the reality was is that's because I'm not thinking about it through the lens of like, what is it that God is doing and how am I invited to participate? It was I was thinking of it through what is it that I can do or what is it that my students can do? And I think I would, my, my challenge would be to like shift, if that's your mindset, to shift it into like what is it that God is doing in the DR and how is it that we can participate? And it's through that invitation um, that I think we find uh, freedom from the burden of like what is it that I have to get done? Because the reality is that God has been working in the DR long before we ever showed up, and he will continue working in the DR long after we ever leave. Now, God is good, though. He reminds us from time to time of, of, of the way in which he's working. I would like to share a little bit about this. Um, this, is 20, this is a trip in 2016. We went into um, an area where YWAM was working called Juan Guzman. It was a community they were starting to focus their attention on. So we went back multiple times to this particular community. And one of the first times we were there, uh, instead of building a home, we built the same structure, but it became a church. Fast forward a few years later, it's 2018. We're down in that same area, and this time we're building a home for one of the church members. And... Dr. Benson and I, we were kind of putting the finishing touches on the building, and Dr. Benson and I were just sitting there talking, and the pastor of, in that community came up to us, and he recognized me, because we'd been there a few times, and he just started telling me the story of how God had been working in this village and how we had played a part in that. And he told us about how he and his wife had been burdened by this call to minister in, in the sort of like outskirts in the, in the marginalized areas of, of the Dominican Republic. And he told us how he and his wife would travel around to different communities and they would just walk through the communities praying and asking God, where is it that you want to build your church? Where is it that you want to establish your ministry? And he told us that it was a very clear response that it was this village, not just this, sorry, this community, It was this particular piece of land. God essentially gave him a promise that said, this chunk of land right here, this is where we will build, you know, the church in this community. And so at the time, they had a little structure, had a mud floor, 
So whenever it rained, whenever there was weather like that, which is quite often down there, the floor would be muddy and they'd just be basically meeting, you know, standing or sitting on the chairs in mud. Um, eventually a hurricane came through um, and one of the storms on the side of the hurricane sort of just did enough damage that they had to tear the whole structure down. And it was at that time that here comes YWAM and a bunch of seniors from Southwest Christian High School. And what do we do? God has us build this physical structure to meet in. And I remember the pastor was very emotional when he was just, he was telling us about what that structure meant to this community and how God had been using it um, to, to build his body of believers and to um, bless the area. And I remember just kind of thinking, like, God is good. Like, it, it was just a couple of days of, you know, building some walls. It's not a fancy structure. It's just got some, you know, cement board walls cut out with little metal louvered windows in there, a little bit of paint. But it was, what made it meaningful was that it was God's work that was going on and what he was doing with it, not necessarily what we did. As we close up here, I think there's two things that I'd like to emphasize. I think the one I've emphasized enough already, and that's, it's God's work, man. It's not up to us. We don't have the responsibility of saving the world. We're just called to participate in what God is doing all over this world. Like I said, I can think of many times when my mindset was locked into what I could accomplish and what work the seniors who were with me could do. And oftentimes that leads to just a lot of unnecessary tension or a lot of unnecessary expectations. I think generally it can lead to one of two directions, and I've seen many missionaries go down one of these two paths. Either we begin to glory in what we did. <laughs> hey, look at us. We built a church. We're amazing. Or it leads us into this place of there is too much work to be done. There's no way it can possibly, there's no way I can possibly do it all. And it leads us to giving up. Like I said, I've seen many missionaries that I knew would leave the field for either one of those two reasons. And I think that when we remember that it's God's work, it frees us up to participate and rest and take comfort in knowing that he's the one that's ultimately in charge. The second thing that I hope has been implicit in these stories is that God's work primarily is about the people. God cares most about the people in the village of Nanganyabao. He's interested in changing the lives of Susanto and Rina and all my other friends, even Burum, Drame, whatever they... He's interested in their lives and in changing them. It is people that God loves most dearly, and it's people that he is ultimately working at to change through his love. And so the second thing I'd like to challenge you with is, as you head off to a different country, it's going to look very different. The culture is different. It's going to feel different. The ways in which they live and move and, and, and be, like, it's different. But I would challenge you to look past those differences and look at the people. Take the time when you're doing a work project on someone's house, take the time to chat with them. It might be difficult, you might have to use an interpreter. 
Okay, it might be kind of awkward, but take the time to talk to the people. Take the time to get to know them. Because even that is a beautiful way of just showing them that God loves and cares for them. Get to know the YWAM staff. They're really amazing people. Get to know them, learn from them, listen to their stories. And I also want you to remember this. God cares just as much about his work in Chaska as he does about his work in Nanganyabao, as he does about his work in the Dominican Republic. He cares just, about, just as much about you, your classmates, the chaperones, and the work that he's doing in all of your lives, just as much as he cares about the work that he's doing in the lives of the people that you'll meet down there. God is at work all over this world. We're all invited to participate. But seniors, a week from now, you're going to get sort of a different opportunity to participate. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have open hearts and open minds. Pay attention to what it is that God wants to show you and teach you. And be open for opportunities to love the people that you meet and to get to know them. Thank you.